Well, thanks guys for showing up on your Friday afternoon. We're here at Sony Studios in Theater One, a newly renovated space. And I'm here with the sound team of Venom. How about we uh, introduce ourselves? <laughs> I'm Kami Asgard, supervising sound editor. I'm Will Files. I'm the supervising sound editor and mixer. Uh, my name is Robbie Stambler, and I'm a sound designer. So for you guys, the film just came out, what, a week ago? I mean, yeah, a week now? Uh, a week ago. A week now? Mm -hmm. What is it like to be on a week out when the film? Well, we, I, we were talking before, you're still working on a few home releases, well, but. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're still recovering because we only finished it, like, what, two weeks ago? <laughs> yeah, we finished it two weeks ago after 40 days yeah. of straight mixing. 40 days straight. So we're definitely still decompressing. We're still kind of cleaning up after ourselves uh, <laughs> in multiple ways. Showering. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're actually still, we're going to go back uh, next week and do some deleted scenes and things like that. Um, and some last little bits and pieces. Uh, mm. So yeah, we're still still having fun with Venom, but you know <laughs> we're mostly out of the uh, out of the work zone on it, and just enjoying the watching the audiences and seeing the box office. Yeah, yeah. So let's 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 time travel back to when you guys first found out about this project. Who was it? When was it? What did they tell you? How'd that go down? Um, basically, you know, my office used to be off the lot, mm -hmm. and now you know, four two four is. Uh, housed on the on the lot now, and I think it was my first day that I was on the lot, and I was kind of bummed that we don't have our footprint anymore, <laughs> and we're kind of here. And I run into Ruben Fleischer, uh, which I did Zombieland and a couple other movies with. And um, Ruben uh, goes, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "Oh, you know, I just moved on back on the lot." And I go, "What are you doing here?" And he goes, "I'm doing this movie Venom. You know, are you going to do it with me?" <laughs> um, I didn't even know what he was talking about, <laughs> who Venom was, what Venom was. And uh, I go, sure, you know, tell uh, the higher ups here. And and 10 minutes later, I got hired on the, on the movie. <laughs> and that was um, a little over a year ago. Yeah. And so. it was sort of a similar thing for me. My my friend Jessica Parks is a post, the post uh, supervisor in the film. And she said, hey, we're doing this, uh, you know, big sci-fi Marvel, you know, superhero movie coming up and it's like totally in your wheelhouse and you should do it with this guy Kami who's done the directors of the movies and you're like why don't you come and have lunch with them mm. so me and Kami went went down the street and had lunch one day and like within two minutes I was like well not only do I want to do the movie with this guy but I want to just hang out with this guy <laughs> <laughs> no I mean it was it was sort of like this match made in heaven I, I um, um, you know I, I, when you're told hey do you want to meet somebody new and and we're and I'd known about Will, and I was sure I, I'd wanted to work with him. We'd met on a stage like briefly last yeah. year mm -hmm. with uh, with Kevin O'Connell. Yeah, we've got a lot and of I friends. I think we in hit it off. Like even that day, I'm mm -hmm. like, I like that guy, you know. <laughs> so when Jess brought it up, it was like, yeah, let's put it up. Let's let's do this. You mm -hmm. know? Which is funny because you know normally if someone suggests the two two supervisors who are used to kind of working by themselves. Mm. Uh, you know, work <laughs> together, and it's kind of like, well, you know, is that really necessary? <laughs> <laughs> but it really ended up being a great thing. Um, you know, not only do we have a lot of fun, but it was great because we have very complementary uh, skills. And you know, just for me as a mixer, it's always great to have guys like Kami and Robbie backing me up while we're mixing because, especially movies like this, they don't stop changing until mm. the printmaster, basically, right? Yeah. So. 
not only are we still chasing visual effects and picture changes and, you know, they're shooting ADR and all the things that you'd expect, but also like new concepts are showing up. Like there's new things we've never seen before. So that's where having someone like Kami or Robbie or both who can come in and, and make new stuff sort of all the way to the end is great for me because I don't have time to do it. Mm. And well, I, and it was, the, you know, to, you know, to Robbie that every time we got a new shot in, and we'd just go, okay, let's send this off to Robbie. Let him tinker with this thing. Because <laughs> it would be a completely a new thing. We didn't even know what. Because before, the, like the cut before that we'd gotten was a dot. <laughs> yeah. you know, it was like a, a white dot just white moving dot around. moving around and bouncing and it's like, off okay, a building. What you know. is that? You know, and, yeah. uh, and, you know, you get this whole thing and you have sometimes a couple of hours just to do something and send it back and. Back over to the picture department, so they can make sense of it. Because you know, even when you see it, if it doesn't have sound, it just doesn't seem real. It doesn't right. stick to the screen. And by know? the same, yeah, and 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 by the same token, when when the shots aren't like it, once the shot is is completed enough visually that you can actually kind of tell what it's going to look like and feel like. Mm. Um, until you're at that point, it's really hard to make a sound stick to the picture. Yeah, totally. And you yeah. almost kind of like have to not worry about that and yeah. just make cool sounds and that was and literally my my uh instructions to robbie <laughs> were you know look don't think don't worry about trying to make anything match picture either with sync or anything just make a whole bunch of cool stuff mm -hmm. and and freestyle and just like make us a pile of new sounds because um, what we needed was like new material like new custom stuff that felt like this movie specifically and um, Robbie made us, you know, literally hundreds of sounds that we we kept mining all the way through the end of the final mix. How, how much of that direction came from your director, uh, Ruben Fleischer? Like, uh, for you guys, have you, any of you worked with him before? Kami's worked with him a bunch. Okay, yeah. so the, obviously you've had a relationship that you can kind of anticipate, but how do you describe your guys' early interaction? Well, for this one, his his input always is. I want, <laughs> I want it to be cool and I want it to be different, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, it leaves right. so much to interpretation of like, okay, what is, what is this big giant thing going to sound like, you know? And not knowing, you know, till last minute sometimes what the concept is going to be, he left us kind of free to do whatever yeah. we wanted to do. And it was just an open palette for, for everybody. Yeah. You know. and, and it was a p big part of our process on this film, like, like we do with a lot of films, is that we we started early and we were feeding the picture department uh, multiple 5-1 stems mm. as we were going. So we'd work on a scene, we'd take a pass on it, and then we'd give it to them, and that would become their their guide track. And so they would actually not only have a more fleshed out track for themselves to, or you know, for playing for executives or whoever, but also for, for it gives us a chance to try the sounds out mm -hmm. and to actually send like crazy ideas and say, and I would warn them, I'd, I'd email R Ruben and, and Marianne and, and Alan, our picture editors, and I'd say, hey, we're sending over a new batch of stuff. Watch out, it has this really crazy idea. <laughs> Let me know what you think, <laughs> you know? And sometimes that would come back and Marianne would go, yeah, we can't do that. Uh, and sometimes they'd come back and Ruben would say, hey, that's works. That's cool. Let's go with that. Yeah. Or a lot of times you don't even hear anything back, which is usually that means they liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's usually a good thing. Or, you know, on the next version that they sent to us is where we find out what 
played and what stuck and what didn't yeah, stay because yeah, yeah. they just turned you right. just turn you'll it see off. where the volume moves are in their track <laughs> well, if, they, if they wanted more or something it's like oh yeah. hey oh, they the must like that yeah the motorcycle chase they want it big so let's yeah. just go bigger you know yeah, yeah. um but you know you have a team of guys like ken mcgill and and chris terhoon and those guys too cutting sound effects and have to keep up with all the changes constantly you know yeah and you know sending that back and getting all that, uh, you know, because a lot of that stuff we didn't even ever see. It would be totally. just like, picture would come that afternoon, we'd have to send picture back, I mean, sound back to them. And a lot of times to them, <laughs> scenes just didn't work for yeah, the, yeah, yeah. for for them, just the way it was without sound. Mm -hmm. But once we did sound for them, they'd come back and they're like, oh, that scene actually works. It's yeah. it's actually because they it just couldn't it just wouldn't work without sound. Well, especially sometimes. movies like this, you know, of the scale when you've got a eight foot tall alien goo monster you know, <laughs> that weighs you know a thousand pounds or whatever. You know, it's sort of like it's hard to uh, to really convey that, especially when you we just got temp visual effects. Um, you know, the sound really goes a long way in terms of just making it feel like it's the the movie that is as big as what they're trying to achieve. That's something I was going to ask is, you know, I think of, um, you know, the Marvel, the, this falling into the superhero Marvel DC films, all the different characters that come out with someone like this, kind of like, like Deadpool, like people aren't really familiar, as familiar, mm -hmm. they're going to just kind of look at this as like a blank slate and you guys can kind of start from square, like day one of the clean slate, there's no expectation, there hasn't been a Venom yeah. Live action in this sense. This well, I mean, as, world. as yeah. a, as a superhero type of a movie, this isn't really a, this is more a a more like a hulk than it is mm -hmm. a cape and and uh and uh tights kind of a guy <laughs> sure it, you know and it's it's really a monster movie it yeah, really like is a Frankenstein or something right like it has yeah. a lot of physicality yeah. yeah you know it's not and and there's so much of that that comes out that we you know like even the vocals we recorded the voice of Tom Hardy doing Venom and and Riz Ahmed doing the voice of uh, Riot. Um, once we saw that final version with all the goo coming out of their mouths and, and you know and there's just a lot of saliva and and hmm. just movement and his mouth moving every time he opened it up. Those are the things that you know we went into Robbie's world and pulled all that stuff to make well, you, you know. Yeah, it's often the smallest little detail on the screen that it makes it the most real. So like I remember um, the first time I ever cut just kind of a an exhale kind of effort for one of those fight scenes coming from almost it's like you're standing in front of you and it's like the smallest little detail you wouldn't think it's that important but yeah i mean sure those little sounds of saliva flying off the tongue and whatever and <laughs> those when those all come together at the end it's like the cherry on top and yeah it's small but it all adds up there's a there's a scene in uh it kind of early on in the movie where the symbiote comes out of out of the um the canister the canister yeah, right. and goes up um Isaac. uh Isaac's leg yeah. and goes up you know and it always was this blue dot that went up, and okay, and, yeah. and, and it, as it progressed, that you know we changed the sound and all that. On the last version that we got, it had this little spit, like it touched his lip, and this like little string of, of mm -hmm. you know saliva came, and it just looked so real. All of a sudden, it looked like it actually attached. 
mm. but there was that little sound so that I, really I, is in it's funny. So I found little a little things. kiss sound, I put it in, and it actually is perfect. <laughs> it's awesome. So it you really got is. kissed by the symbiote. So, Robbie, for you, when you know there's specific things that kind of Will and the rest of the team is tasking you with, and obviously like the rest of the sound designers on this project, some of the things that were kind of obvious is you know the alien, the symbiotes, symbionts, how do you symbiote. say symbiote, symbiote, symbiote. symbiotes, symbiotes. <laughs> the symbiotes. You know, for people who haven't seen the film, it kind of opens up with these kind of the introduction of these kind of. Nickelodeon Gak uh, goo uh, <laughs> right. characters that obviously is what the you know what what charges Venom but or what the origin of, of him but like so how many iterations what type of iterations like how can you describe that process yeah I mean it, it was um it, it 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 was a real exploration and the, the thing that that um you know, I was really inspired by digging into is just the emotions of these creatures because, right. you know, you can put the physical sound of it, you know, slopping around or whatever. And, and that's one thing. But if you can sense that it's feeling a certain way and um, or that it wants to do something, but it can or if you can kind of get sounds into a territory that informs emotion, like that's the win. So mm-hmm. the the I went about it by first just mining for material, you know, like we always do. And, you know, you find all those crazy, gross, slurpy, saliva, <laughs> mouth, you know, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. any, that whole realm of sounds. But it doesn't have any emotion. Right. So then I went on the hunt for some, you know, emotive sounds, you know. So, uh, you know, you can start with just the human voice saying certain things, you know, different animals and whatnot. And, um, and then the task kind of became taking those literal sounds um, and interjecting them with this emotion. Mm. And... Um, that was a, a really fun experiment to do. And I, I ended up using this piece of software uh, called Transformizer, um, which is a really incredible piece of uh, plug-in. Um, and, it, you know, I was able to essentially take those uh, literal sounds and, you know, a, in a, kind of like a ring modulator sort of way, um, inject the emotive qualities of the animal sounds into mm-hmm. them. And then we just created this whole sort of, run i remember it was like a six minute run i sent it to you i sent it to, i emailed it to will i was like it was just like a jam session yeah because the fun thing was is like you know i came in with no history of the show like i came in uh, as just will's guy and mm-hmm. to, it was like my secret weapon right and and i know will's aesthetic so that was my guide mm-hmm. but it was really really fun because we would just send each other sounds went up but i remember i sent you this big long run and we were very excited about it and what and I was remember going through and sort of picking out like this part's really cool, this nugget, thing's really the cool. Nuggets inside it. Yeah. And then you would go and explore and iterate off right, of that. Right. Right. And I think what it ultimately ended up being for the sound of the symbiotes when they're not in a body and they're just oozing around right. and whatnot, it was essentially those things, but then ran through the same vocal processing that you yeah. did for Tom's voice, which helped to co- you know cohesively mm-hmm. glue thematically everything together how early on were you guys tasked with the uh Ooh, that was really with venom with that voice when th- that but, was actually yeah. the first thing i did when i started working on the movie in right. what was it january or february yeah, yeah. um ruben you know we got together and we talked about we went through the movie and we sort of spotted it but he said you know all this stuff is going to be great but the thing we really have to figure out like immediately is the the voice of venom right and I, I remember being kind of surprised by that at first thinking like wow that's the first thing we have to figure out like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know like okay but but actually once we got into it i realized why because you know they needed to start um 
they need to, st- to start putting it in the movie immediately because that was part of him putting together his director's cut mm. was, you know, trying to find the voice for Venom and trying to find not only, you know, what he would say, but how it would sound. And um, so, him and Tom yeah. Hardy had had a lot of conversations about it not not sounding human, you know, like they wanted it to sound uh, more weird than what a human's voice could do on its own. So Tom yeah. Hardy did a lot of his own manipulation, you know, giving his voice sort of a gruff quality. Um, but but we tried literally, I think we ended up with fifth, almost 50 different versions. Over 50. Yeah. Um, of, of processing his voice in all kinds of different ways. I mean, everything you can imagine. Mm. Um, and trying to figure out some kind of way to make it feel, you know, big and deep and powerful and also wet and mm. and and alien and then also intelligible because you know that's the whole thing just in general we always want the dialogue to be clear but tom hardy has uh has a reputation for being someone who is hard to hear in movies from you know some of his other characters bane yeah and, I mean, and yeah, yeah sure and definitely that was something that ruben was really he was really sensitive about he didn't want tom to be to, he thought it was unfair that Tom sort of gets painted that way. Painted that way, sure, yeah. You know, <clears throat> and so that's something we really were careful about. That we, mm. we wanted to make sure that all of Tom's dialogue in the whole movie was very clear. And and Kevin spent a lot of time on that in the final mix, and I think really achieved um, a tremendous amount of clarity in all the dialogue. But uh, and that's something we you know we we both worked on together. You know, and and uh, on the on the treatment side, mm-hmm. what was was always interesting to me was. Will went through and did fifty some odd uh, versions of this voice. Played him, played him down with with Ruben one night or afternoon, and you know, and I go, so which one? Which one did he pick? And <laughs> and and he goes, funny enough, it was my favorite one. And it's and it, you know, yeah. going through and listening to them, how everybody just kind of, you know, went that direction, and we played it for Tom Rothman and. And Avi uh, Urad and the producers of the like of all the, movie. the studio brass wanted to hear it. Mm. Yeah, and and you know it, it. There's a lot of different directions that people wanted to hear this thing, and then it all just kind of honed into magically into this one thing. And you know, and in the Venom voice, you have Venom as Venom mm-hmm. out, outside talking, and then there's Venom inside his head, and then there's Venom this. Barked the from wraith, the wraith venom. Yeah, the wraith <laughs> yeah. venom where he's outside of the body and yeah. talking to you know to him, and um, all of those voices had to have different qualities, and um, you know with you know Aaron Oakley, our ADR supervisor, all of all of those voices got re-recorded again and again and sure. again, yeah. and, <laughs> and, and again. lines got changed, and the one <laughs> the one thing that was really important from from the beginning, there was only one line that we got from Tom from the production mm-hmm. that actually worked um, in in quality, in performance, and in quality of his recordings. And he had to go back to that. Yeah, that's um, right. In in every way for it to work all the way through. Mm. So the performance was, I would say, like eighty or ninety percent of because he just you know we had. Uh, temp voices in. We had temp guys come in. Sure. Sound alikes come in to try voices, <coughs> try lines, and all that. It never worked until Tom, Tom did it himself yeah. and took it to that performance. 
it's it it wasn't that easy and he really i mean that voice is really him well and he got really into it too it's interesting because he he was really an advocate for it not sounding human like mm. he he wanted it to be as processed as as possible mm. um because he wanted it to sound weirder than what he could do um and he was really sensitive to it he, he didn't want it to just sound like like Tom Hardy as Eddie was just talking to Tom Hardy as Venom, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and by the same token, you know, Riz did the voice for both the Drake character and for Riot. Mm. And, and while that, it makes sense that, you know, they're embodying the same body. And so they would have some characteristics that are similar. Uh, he was really sensitive to the idea that he didn't just want it to sound, you know, like a drive recording. So we actually, he wanted to even hear it on the ADR stage. So when he would come in and do his lines, he would do the line and then they'd play it back for him through the processing. So he could actually hear how it would sound and then he, he could adjust his performance based on what it was doing to his voice. That's great. Yeah. I could. Well, you say there were a bunch of changes. Like how many well, changes? Well, I mean, the change, you know, this is just a process of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, there is... There's multiple versions of this yeah, movie sure. that that you know that happen that they try, especially with anything that that isn't locked to anybody's face. That's, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, it's a writing yeah. thing. It's, yeah, you right. know, And especially in comedies, we're used to always yeah, changing can you lines. Punch it and, up, you, know, you know, can this right. be funnier? Could this be better? How is that interaction between the two of them? He's talking to the guy in his head. You can throw anything. Anything. Yeah. Sure. You know. And yeah. so you know you have. A lot of voices is not just your director. Yep. A movie like this has, you know, writers and producers and studio people and layers Everyone's of studio thinking people. About, Everybody yeah, 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 yeah. has a thing. Yeah. So every time somebody watches it, so they want to try different things. Yeah. Like I think on Zombieland, the the voiceover that's in that movie, we changed, I want to say, at least 30 times. <laughs> wow. You know what I mean? Of yeah. different, every piece was... I had, you know, multiple, multiple, multiple versions of stuff. Well, I imagine you know? that, you know. Because you can try. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, it's the, cheap. It's not easy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not yeah. hard yeah. to try right. it. You know, right. you just come in and try this. Yeah. Try that. Try it this way. Try it that way. Yeah. But Tom really wrangled it in. It's really him playing Venom <laughs> as Venom. Yeah. And it's like a buddy cop movie because the two of them <laughs> are just polar opposites from each other. And, and they're in, in this body and and they have fun with each other. Mm-hmm. And you never question that that's the same person. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's like a puppet talking to a... To a uh, uh, m- 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 uh, yeah, like a, a voice, you know, ventriloquist. Yeah. You know? So w- one of the big uh, story points is the fact that like there's this frequency that triggers, you know, these guys. And so what was the, the creative process for coming up with, a, when, first of all, as a sound person, you're thinking, all right, you need a frequency. Well, what frequency? Right. And how are we going to represent that in a theater? So w- yeah, what did you guys figure out? You know, it's an interesting thing. That, that, was, <laughs> that was the thing that evolved a lot throughout the whole mix, actually, maybe more than almost anything else. Um, because it was one of those things where, where you know, it's multi, it, 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 there's multiple things in the movie that trigger his response. Right. And <laughs> they're not necessarily really in the same kind of world of sounds, you know. Um, and so what we did was, you know, we sort of, we tried to, we tried to introduce some similar kind of tones and things into all those moments. But what we ended up doing in the end was we got to reel six and there's a moment in reel six when, uh, there's, there's feedback, like microphone feedback that triggers him. Um, 
And <clears throat> the filmmakers latched onto that and said, you know, that's really effective there. What if we took that sound mm. and put it in all the other places? So let's go back to five, four, three, two, and real one. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, ripple, and, ripple and it was that, one of those yeah. things that, you know, on the face of it, you, you're tempted to go, but that doesn't make any sense. Right. It's a speaker, it's feedback, you know, yeah, and then yeah. it's an MRI machine. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but but, or it's, it's how it feels, right? It's right. like, it's, it's not the literal exactly, sound. It's, exactly. wha- it's how it makes you feel. And, you know, I guarantee you, nobody noticed yeah. When that plane flew by that they were hearing microphone feedback exactly. and not a exactly. plane or a combination of the two. Yeah, so that's the kind of yeah. thing that I think you can get away with in those moments because it's such a sort of freak out moment anyway. Yeah. Truly. And and they were right. It was the kind of thing that once you wove those into those sounds into those moments, it did feel kind of cohesive in a in a subconscious way. I remember looking at those sequences early on and and trying to think to myself ahead, like, what are they gonna? What are what are we gonna do here? Because yes. <laughs> this is a challenge, right? You know, how do you hurt people's ears but don't hurt but people's not, ears? That was, that right. was the mixing yeah. challenge, right? And um, I first thought it was going to be all like low end, or but then that doesn't quite fit in with. Well, it was interesting though and... because that's another thing I found is that I couldn't, I I did ha- there had to be a subsonic element to it, to to imply power. Right. Right. So like in that last scene in Real Six in the big fight, um, there's it's just microphone feedback. But you cut to a shot of the speaker mm. and it's kind of vibrating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not only do you have that visual cue, but also is one of those things where like this sound is like, you know, putting these giant monsters in agony. So it has to have power. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we augmented the high frequency squeal sound with like a low textured kind of um, flappy rumble thing, like a yeah, vibrational thing mm. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that ended up being the thing that made it feel powerful. Yeah. And before before we added that, it didn't really, it wasn't working for me. Yeah. You know. And of course, you know, that's again, we we applied that lesson. It's this happens all the time. You you finish move mixing a movie, you make it all the way to the end of the movie. And you find somebody and then, the well, then you hour, finally yeah, figure yeah. out how to mix the movie. Yeah. Right. And then you got to go back and remix the movie. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> in this movie, just be, you know, it was a weird mix for us. We. Why do you say that? Um. Well, we never really mixed the movie in, in a, in a <laughs> it, general sense it, of. It, it never felt like the final mix ever <clears throat> truly started. Okay. Yeah, because you know, you what you do is you go you go through the process. Ninety nine percent of the time is right. you pre dub the movie, then you spend a couple of days mixing a reel. You know, your clients come in, watch the reel, then you'll spend however many, much time. I you mean, have. this is like the predetermined. Like, this is how this is how post sound works. Like, yeah, this is how post sound works. Whether it's television yeah. or yeah, features yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever, you're you know, you do your thing. Whether it's a day, a, a reel, or two days right. or <laughs> half a day, you know, you you go through, you play it down, you take notes, you play, you know, you fix the, your notes, and you do. Maybe another playback. I mean, is that because of Ruben? Is that because of you guys? Combination? Well, no, it's just uh, it was just, just our schedule. Yeah. We we had changes coming constantly. I mean, constantly we had things changing. Yeah. They, you know, we on the last weekend of our mix, they they had just done some additional photography. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's like we had things that were just opened up. In, there was yeah, music yeah, yeah. that wasn't done. There's, you know, we never actually sat and played. Like mixed a reel and played it back, and then did fixes and moved on to the next. We never did that. Right. We yeah, yeah. would do scenes. <laughs> let's do this yeah. scene. Yeah, we yeah. have the scene. Yeah. Da, da, da. Let's go to reel three. It was let's either we do a scene to... or we do the whole movie. 
Yeah, right. we, we finally yeah, we did the, the very, whole movie yeah. a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, okay, let's play the whole movie down. And then, like, you know, no one can really focus on it when you're just watching the whole movie. But although sometimes that's useful, you know, sometimes it's like, what happens all the time for me when we watch the whole movie is like the first couple reels, I'll have a ton of notes. And then you kind of settle into the movie. And then you really kind of only write down every so you know, often. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and and what I usually end up doing is going back and looking at those first couple pages of notes and thinking like, well, you know, 80% of this is actually just not that important. It's stuff only you're tuning in. Exactly. And, it's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you try to weed that stuff out. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of big moments, but one of them is this motorcycle drone chase that's, that's happening through the streets of San Francisco. And being from the Bay Area, I know all the streets and I, I know how much mayhem they went to make it probably not destroy any of the, <laughs> the city. But it, yet you guys are tasked with this kind of like monumental... Of- I think the original version of that was nine minutes long. It was. It was a giant. What, what, what giant. did it end up being? Uh, it's it probably like four, four minutes. It's like probably yeah. half of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, the first go around, I mean, the first thing you got to do is you got to go, okay, the physical stuff of, you know, a car chase. Right. You know, what cars you pick. Right, of course. That's, you know, that's not going to fight with, with a motorcycle. What motorcycle do you pick that that has the range for it to do all the stuff that it's doing. Um, you know, we stayed true to a Ducati, you mm-hmm. know, because it has a specific sound. Right. It's a V-twin and it does, that sounds different than a, uh, than a you know, four-cylinder Honda or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Durangos have a certain, mm-hmm. you know, sound and feel to them, or are they Cherokees? Uh, actually, they're Audis. They're Audis. So, I mean, if you Audis? went from a nine-minute down to a four-minute, were you following picture changes? Like, how did it? Pretty much, you guys are chasing that. Those the, pictures. I, I remember kind of the first <sighs> bike chase, mm-hmm. the first time around. I'm like, God, this thing is never ending, <laughs> and it was all different. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, yeah. same bike by same, right? You know, it was like doing this, and then everything was, was changing. It was, yeah, it was constantly doing all sorts of different things, and you know, and it was me, uh, Ken McGill, uh-huh. and uh, Chris. Was it Chris? Uh, was Chris, Chris came on later. God, I, yeah. I remember Chris coming in and working on the motorcycle specifically, like going hog on it. Yes. <laughs> I think because Chris... I because I remember and the reason I remember that is because I was like, you know, several doors down the hall and, from Chris's room. And I just <laughs> hear <laughs> oh, they, yeah, he was on that for weeks. Yeah. yeah. And, it, you know, and it constantly changed and it changed and it changed, you know. Uh, well, and the the the, uh, the drone, mm-hmm. little weaponized drones that are following him around through the city. <laughs> the, literally those what they did and how they moved and what they were doing. It's all CG. Constantly. Changed yeah. Because yeah. it's all CG. Yeah. Like the concept of that. We weren't even sure. Are they going to be like rockets? Are they going to be like. Yeah. Um, they were like quadcopters. Quadcopters. Are they going to be something in between? Are they going to be like yeah, there was there was all sorts of different like oh, flying yeah. and weird we, things. We hung in there like every time it changed, the sound changed too. <laughs> totally. Well, and I remember I went I I, I was uh, having lunch with Ruben and, and the and the editors at one point early on, and I was saying, oh, you know, we're we're gonna we're trying to track down some racing drones so we can record some really high performance drones. Yeah. Um, for the scene, and and Ruben goes, well, first of all, I don't think they're going to be drones. I don't think they're going to be quadcopters when it's done. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and they said, and second of all, 
That's such an annoying sound. Can we figure out something else something to make those totally sound like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, well, good. It is an annoying sound. That's a good idea. It is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, could you imagine hearing that thing and the bikes and the cars? And it's, it's great because what he did is like saved me a lot of time with that. Like I, I, I was thinking too literally about it and I would have gone down the road of like recording it, cutting it and mixing it and then looking at it and going, oh, this sucks. <laughs> you know? oh yeah no so absolutely. i'm glad he had the foresight to say like oh why don't we try making them sound you know cooler than that yeah yeah something different so yeah. uh, something that um obviously kevin o'connell the other recording mixer is not here today but he was handling music and so something and the composer was ludwig um, Gorenson, who uh, like has he just came off of black panther not too long ago uh for him i'm sure to step into the shoes for venom must have been a lot of fun, but there's like creative challenges. I'm sure when obviously sound and music and pictures. I think changing. got married in the middle of. Did get married too? Yeah, yeah. yeah so right before the mix. Yep. How can you describe that dance between all the picture department changes, potential music cue changes? Like, how, what's your interaction like with Ludwig? Well, we didn't actually directly interact with Ludwig a lot because he was busy writing and recording music. Yeah. Um, because he was he was you know as much as we were running to keep up with the changes in the movie so was he and uh, amanda and joe our music editors um and you know there was a lot of new ideas coming fast and furious about the music from the filmmakers and the studio and they had you know well what if we made this darker what if we made this you know more thematic or more heroic here and ludwig because he's you know he's he's very he's very quick yeah so he he was able to actually turn stuff around for us and send over new cues within a couple days okay cool um and some of that was recycling things he'd already recorded and some of it was new sample stuff and synthesizer stuff and you know it's a very sort of modern score that's a, a mix of big orchestral sound but also lots of like processed um you know, and like synthesizer sound, sound designy sort of territory of thing. Stuff. Yeah, and there was a yeah. lot of stuff where, <clears throat> you know, he, like a lot of modern composers, do, they do sounds that would traditionally kind of be in our territory. You know, sound design wise. Mm -hmm. And but I would say by the same token, we do a lot of stuff. You yeah, know, it's that's yeah, it's, it kind of bleeds. Mm. And and then I would just add from a from a design perspective, you know. Since you know Ludwig was working on the music while I was working on the sound design, you kind of just have to, from a sound design perspective, when you're dealing with a temp track, you kind of just got to ignore it, which is a bummer because you know you want to create some sounds and feed them to editorial and just have them rock and roll and work what nicely. Um, but you kind of just have to know in your head that okay, music's going to show up. <laughs> and uh, we'll see what happens. It might not sound anything like what we have now. Yeah, and you can all you can do is kind of plan ahead and mm -hmm. have the elements you could maybe turn yeah. off or turn on. And, and, and we always try to keep that stuff, you know, in certain pre-dubs. So, mm -hmm. so it's the kind of thing that if we get to the final mix and someone says, what's that crazy, stupid sound? And I go, <laughs> oh, this one? And <laughs> turn it off. Um, yeah, and by the same token. You fall in love with anything that no, you do. No, you, you got oh, to be willing to kill your right children. right there, yeah. And it and it's actually really really nice if if you're if you can design and then not necessarily be on the stage to witness these things, yeah. which was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is that dumb sound? Like, so I mean, here's the point: is like what, what, uh, I think when I was watching the film, I, I noticed that the music was pretty wide. It was it was in the surrounds, in the sides. It was I think I was listening to a five one mix, but it felt a little wider and a little more just I don't know in the room. immersive. Yeah, yeah, in the room. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, what was that decision, and how did I mean how did that help kind of create a hole for you well you know uh, ruben was 
pretty clear from the beginning that he wanted he wanted the movie to have a big summer blockbuster sound. Um, and he, he you know he, that doesn't necessarily mean abrasive or loud, but he wanted it to be full. Um, and you know that obviously extended to the sound effects and how we treated that, but but it also went to how Kevin mixed the the music. Right. And the music already came in, you know, feeling very full. But Kevin did a lot of stuff with you know, taking some stems, some of his music elements off the screen and pushing them into the surrounds, either in Dolby Atmos objects or just in the surround bed. Um, and you know, it's one of those things that just it, you fill the room up with that energy, and it it makes a big difference in terms of. I, I make I think it makes you feel like you're in the movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And also gives you clarity for your dialogue. I mean, right. when it's a big help when we did temp mixes we were having such a hard time understanding the dialogue and and the sound effects and mm -hmm. everything was just on top of each yeah, other yeah. on the screen but once you know once you have time to sit and mix it and and someone like Kevin who really does wonders with dialogue and and uh, and music and he's able to like you know quickly just spatialize it in a way so that they're not sitting on top of each other and they're sort of complimenting each other. And, you know, you know, it's, it's funny. He said he, he watched a movie in, in one of the screenings and he's like, uh, I could have pushed the music in certain places, <laughs> you know, Always. Uh, you know yeah. and, and I write, write it up against the dialogue more. And I'm like, no, you know what? It's not, it's yeah. you, your it's first, uh, your first impression of like how to play it really does work. Cause you understand every single line in this movie, and it is a bombastic movie mm -hmm. as far as yeah, you know, it's a sensory, it's a sensory assault. overload, <laughs> and you know, you got this motorcycle chase of Venom's talking in his head, and yeah, did you play the internal head dialogue off the screen too? We did. We pulled it off the screen a little bit, and we right. widened this because the processing created a stereo image right. to the sound. So Kevin would, and when it was in his head, yeah. it would go a little left and right off the center. Yeah. And especially in an Atmos room, when you have the inner speakers, the inner left and inner right, you'd actually hear it in those speakers and off the screen yes. a little bit. So it's a <laughs> subtle thing, but it definitely, it was one of those things when, when you heard it that way versus when you heard him literally on the screen in the center channel, it, it gave it, you know, just a subconscious yeah, feeling. It separates it. Yeah, it separates it. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's one thing with the music mixing these days. I've noticed a trend probably because of Atmos right. of the music leaning into the room more yep. and more. And um, I think part of that's because when you're mixing in Atmos, you've got, you know, these big, awesome speakers all the way around the room. And there's a tendency to want to pull it off the screen and, and really fill the room up. And I think a lot of the younger directors like J.J. Abrams and Matt Reeves really, they want that like you know consume the audience with sound kind mm -hmm. of thing Nolan too yeah, oh, yeah. Nolan's number yeah. one yeah, yeah we yeah, paid sure. to come to this big room with all these speakers yeah, <laughs> let's hear some yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. right? and um and what's interesting though is I've found over and over that that when I when I've mixed with you know Andy Nelson and and Kevin O'Connell and these mixers who who really are doing that you know pushing for that aesthetic in the Atmos mix um when it comes time to do the five one and the seven one, it still sounds awesome. Yeah, you know, it doesn't it doesn't break down. It, it actually, 
it still works really well. And I think part of that's because I think they're really selective about what they're putting in the room. You know, they're, they're leaving the percussion on the screen right. where you'd you be, need the you'd big be speakers. looking left and right. Yeah. Where's that drum? Over but, you there? know, the brass and <laughs> yeah. the strings and, you know, the, the ambient elements and those kind of things, the pads, you know, you can put those in the room. And even in 5.1, it's still going to sound big and immersive and all around you. Well, it's sort of like a pl- when you go to a play or a live performance, you know, the orchestra is in a pit in front of the screen right. and it actually plays into the, in the room, room yeah and you have the voices and everybody on the stage that's like true stuck so to you, the stage. you get that separation with that as well yeah you really ha- you know i think mm-hmm. music in general like even back in when movies first started mm-hmm. it you know they, they used to play the music in the room yeah and it sort of needs to be off the screen and it's sort sort of you know it evokes an emotion out of you in mm-hmm. in the room rather than just hey watch it on the screen i totally. think this is like one of the amazing things about Atmos mm-hmm. is that you're able to pull it off. And that was what I liked about 7-1. And I think the last time I mm-hmm. talked with you Muppets. was about Muppets was yeah. about how amazing it was to be able to just mm-hmm. pull the sc- the music off the screen and really be able to feel, yeah. you know, like it's part of you rather than it's part of the screen, right. you know. But it's great because you get to ride with either 7-1 or Atmos. You get to ride that nice line between... Um, it's still sort of favoring the front half of the room, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's so it still feels connected to the image and to the movie. But it, but at the same time, it still feels more immersive. I, th- I think it's funny because uh, the Muppet movie was in 2011. I was, I'm thinking of Life of Pi and Brave were both around uh, 2012, mm-hmm. which was when Atmos was starting really to off. really took off. Brave was like the first native Atmos, and I remember Life of Pi being there with Doug Hemphill and Ron Bartlett, and like. You know, and Michael Dana was the composer, and I was like, "Oh, wait, what? There's speakers over our heads." Michael Dana, the composer, was like, "Yeah, let's fucking do it." And, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, and you know, Ron and Doug, being who they, you know, they've amazing mixers. They're like, "Wait, this seems like it's wrong." And yet, <laughs> right? You know, I, I, I mean, <coughs> I, I think no one had done it yet. No one had done it yet, and yeah. I think yeah. we're looking at you know, close to six years now has happened, and and here we are saying, "Oh, maybe this is okay." Well, I mean, it, it's like from five one, everybody kind of realized that the gimmick—it's not the gimmick part of it, like right. of playing shit behind you. Yeah, hearing a, French, do- hearing yeah, a yeah, doorbell yeah. and the right. rights around that will take your, um, you know, your attention off the screen. Yeah, you know, and put you back there. It's like a three D sound, a three D movie, like a total gimmick. Well, I mean, thing. Ga- Gravity kind of said, "Oh yeah, it was a big middle finger like, to anybody." Like, yeah. let's just yeah. let's just do this, and obviously, yeah, and you so know, well. in certain yeah. places, it really works so well. But in certain places, you don't want to take attention away yeah. Yeah. from the screen. And I think we utilize the Atmos in this movie yeah. a lot. Yeah. I mean, anytime something leaves the screen or comes on the screen, right. most likely it's in an object and it's flying around the room. And and if it's something that you would naturally hear above your head in real life, yeah. you kind of have license to put it there. Totally. And your brain doesn't go, hey, what? what's totally. that helicopter above my head? You're just like, oh, yeah, that's a helicopter up there. Mm. Like, I yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's in the movie. It's above you. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and for ambiences too. I mean, from a sound. I mean, it's just it's a dream come true. Atmos is the best. <laughs> it's the best. Brave was amazing. I was Rock. blown away by Brave. <laughs> like, Brave was like really well done. Yeah, I thought it was amazing. Like you it's know, cool under the canopy and uh, birds and all that. It was. It wasn't yeah. nothing. You know, spectacular and well, sound. Well, but... part of it was just uh, we were trying to figure out like, well, how's this going to work? Like, what can we do with this? Yeah, you know, like it was the first feature we done. We'd done a couple trailers at that point, but it was the first feature film, and we were like, well, let's try it. What happens if we put reverb on the ceiling? Right. Like, what if it happens if we put music on the ceiling? Like, yeah. you know, and and really, I think as cool as the ceiling thing is, my favorite is just the fact that you can 
put a sound in an object and drive it around the room anywhere you want. So even somebody just walking off the screen sure. with a foley, the, carry, yeah. the fact that it can keep going once it hits the right channel or left channel can keep going, you know, and it, it just sounds more natural. Yeah. Yeah. So lastly, um, you don't, someone has to take responsibility, but someone decided to put a Wilhelm scream <laughs> in this film. And for most people who, who are unaware, they wouldn't think anything of it, but you know, what real was it? And who, who's, so that was in real four. It's in what the scene that we call the atrium fight. Um, and it was one of those moments when, uh, you know, we were all a bit punch drunk. <laughs> if <laughs> not, if not actually no, drunk. Actually drunk. We yeah. did do it. But we, you know, we were, that was probably day 36 of mixing, you know, getting right. close to the end. And, um, Ruben, Ruben somehow or another, it came up the whole idea of Wilhelm scream. Never forget. And Ruben said, "Hey, can we have a Wilhelm scream in this movie?" And I said, "Sure." Well, what's funny <laughs> is that you, we put it in for fun, for like, fun, uh, like and just, as our own joke, as we, our own joke, and sure. we just laughed off about it because it was one of those shots that was like, you know, somebody, some guy falls off a balcony and falls into the camera, right. and it's like <laughs> perfect on, Wilhelm it's shot, classic right? stuntman, classic, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like over, oh, the, over the top, over the top, oh, yeah, yeah. And so we had already done it just for fun. So when he said, and we all laughed, yeah, that would like, right? But, 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 you know, we, but we wouldn't, you know, have put it in the movie uh, without anybody, you know, giving sure. us the okay. But then when Ruben said, "Hey, what if we, you know, have a can we?" He said literally, "Can we have a Wilhelm in this like, movie?" Let me. There's a hotline. Let me yeah, call right. The hotline yeah, and yeah check. let me call let me Ben get the Yeah, get permission. Did, did you play Ruben the the whole file? Because I did, the, yeah. the best oh, yeah. the best part for anyone who doesn't know. The best part of the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> it's not the scream. It's the the part that comes before the scream. The yeah. direction. It's oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah. No, a real scream of yeah. pain. You know, you know, like a man gets bit by an alligator. <laughs> screams. <laughs> and then you get that scream. Yeah. And that was what he got you did. Yeah. That, that's my favorite part. <laughs> the direction. <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys are still having fun doing this because it seems like you guys had a blast working together. We did. We had a lot oh of fun. Oh my god. I mean, I think in that in that forty days, no not not one time did it get testy in the room and all the you know all the long hours and yeah. just eating the 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 the, <laughs> the cronuts and the, the, the oh my god we <laughs> the catering. Always, it seemed like we sleep eat drink and then mix and that's it that's all we did all you know for 40 days straight didn't see family like i remember getting up in the morning uh-huh. my kids and my family's asleep right? oh yeah you I'd get come you home, get home they'd be asleep, asleep. <laughs> it's like it'd <laughs> yeah. be dark there's times we come in it was sort of you know early in the morning and left and it's you know midnight yep. you know yep. but it was it, it was always fun it somehow you know there wasn't a single day on that mix when i was dreading coming into work mm. and I, that's a testament to how great our crew was and how great our clients were and uh, you know the fact that the movie was fun it was a fun movie it wasn't like a dark heavy movie it was fun and so i think that that helped keep the the mood light yeah you know what helped to keep, keep the mood light was when avi would come by that's true guys <laughs> Avi's a funny that guy. guy is hilarious <laughs> yeah it's, it's always awesome. you know it's always important to remember that we're not saving lives we're making movies that's right you got to have fun while you're doing is that it. what it is yeah. really we're we're not saving lives. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not saving oh, man. lives. I, I mean, maybe I we are. <laughs> maybe. Well, Kami, Will, Robbie, thank you guys so much for uh, talking about Venom. Obviously, it's still in theaters. It's not going anywhere. It's going to be around for a little bit. It's done, had an amazing opening weekend, and 
I have a feeling you guys might be revisiting this world before you know it. <laughs> I think you're probably right. <laughs> well, thank you for doing what you do, of which is keep My keeping sound alive and out there, yeah. you know, and, and and shedding and, some light on our weird little yes, process. I, so many days, I've already told you this, Michael, but I'll yes. say it in the yes. podcast. So many days, I've sat in front of a sequence that I need to be working on, and I'm uninspired, and I find myself on Soundworks uh, on your website, and I'm just like searching for inspiration. <laughs> I appreciate it. Searching. <laughs> no, it really is though, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, for doing it's the this. best. It's great. Thanks again for tuning in and listening to my chat with the sound team of Venom. You can hear more conversations with sound designers, composers, and directors on the Soundworks Collection podcast on iTunes and streaming online at soundworkscollection.com.